Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. Buckle up, Super Tuesday 2 is just a day away. We're going to see Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden slug it out across six states, but there is one state uh, that is chief among equals there, and that is the state of Michigan. Uh, Over the weekend, both Biden and Sanders picked up some crucial endorsements. Sanders got the endorsement of Jesse Jackson. Biden scooped up the endorsements of two more of his former rivals in Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. I think all of those endorsements pointing to the importance of the African-American vote again, specifically in Michigan tomorrow. I have two excellent guests to discuss all of this with Jen Psaki, former Obama White House official and CNN political commentator, and Alexandra Rojas, also a CNN political commentator and the co-founder of Justice Democrats, which is a group that is backing Bernie Sanders. Jen, have you formally endorsed a candidate? Uh, no, I haven't. But I voted for Joe Biden. There you go. Look at that. Sharing your personal vote. I, there you I go. wasn't breaking. I news. wasn't trying to uh, peek behind the curtain of the voting booth. I was just wanting to be transparent with all of our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you both for being here. Really appreciate it. Jen, let me start with you. Uh, there was a mammoth poll out of Michigan today that showed Joe Biden with a big lead there. Our national poll out today uh, showed Joe Biden now with majority support among Democrats. And yet I just, you know, this race had so much volatility in it in the last 10 days. I, I just think it would be a fool's errand for anyone to think that this is wrapped up and done at this point just yet. But I do think Michigan is really important. Absolutely. Tomorrow is all about Michigan. I think there's no question Joe Biden knows that. No question Bernie Sanders knows that uh, going into tomorrow. And if you look at just the history from 2016 in Michigan, I mean, Michigan made Bernie Sanders the comeback kid. He needed Michigan. It was a a lot of white working class voters sent a message to Hillary Clinton there. Uh, It's a little bit of a different race this year. So I think if you're in the Biden camp, where their heads are at are this is a state where uh, there's a large African-American um, population, especially in Wayne County, which is the most populous county in the state. That's where Detroit is. Where Detroit is. He's also done extremely well in the last uh, on the last Super Tuesday, since we're at second Super Tuesday, whatever we're calling it. Super Tuesday 2. Super Tuesday 2 uh, among college-educated white voters. Um, and that's uh, there's a big population in the neighboring county, Ontario. Is it Ontario? Oakland County? Oakland, Oakland County. County. Um, there, so. So, you know, if you're Biden, you feel pretty good going into Michigan, but you never know what's going to happen. And we've seen that over the last few contests. Alexandra, to that point, one of the things that I noticed in what we saw Super Tuesday is that there are certain demographic groups that Bernie Sanders is actually underperforming where he was in 2016. Uh, the white non-college educated is a perfect example. This this working class vote that had been sort of the Sanders calling card. And, and Jen is right. Michigan in 2016 sort of propelled Bernie Sanders into the protracted race that he had with Hillary Clinton all the way through June. Um, What are you looking for tomorrow from Sanders to see if he can actually um, build upon what he had 2016, not uh, underperform where he is with some of these groups? Yeah, well, I think it's important to put things into context. Look, I think, you know, just a week ago, right, or before South Carolina, we were pronouncing the vice president's campaign as dead. And so he has seen party leaders from the Democratic establishment start to really align and signal to voters uh, that they wanted his campaign in addition to a lot of positive media coverage. And I think we can, we're talking about right now, right, the volatility in the polls. And I think that is showing. So he certainly is is going in with a really strong position heading into to Pyro's contest. I think the thing that, you know, that we need 
that there's no question that there needs to be a strong showing in Michigan, but there's still a path beyond Tuesday. And I think particularly on the drop-off voters, um, to your point, this is where Sanders needs to do really, really well. But we can't excuse, I think, the under 45 demographic that is a huge piece of Sanders' coalition that regardless of where you fit in, we're going to need heading into a general election and electoral college. So I don't think that that is a concern just for Bernie Sanders. But I think, look, this is a state where he did really well in 2016, talking to not just working class voters, but or not just white working class voters, but the full diversity of the field down there. He's going to be talking about how he's going to be bringing jobs back, that he didn't let them go back home. And someone like Joe Biden has a serious, a lot of the same vulnerabilities that Hillary Clinton had heading into the general election for 2016. And, you know, she, I think, did a podcast the other day where she talked about he's building the same coalition that I did. And so I think heading into Michigan voters, especially when it comes to electability, we do need to be really concerned that is that going to be enough, especially when we think about the Electoral College math. And certainly uh, Bernie Sanders is uh, playing the trade message again, like he did against Hillary Clinton when you speak of that coalition. But as a Sanders supporter, I want to just ask what if he comes up short in Michigan tomorrow, what does that mean to you about the path forward? I think that, you know, like I said before, I think the context here really matters. It's certainly we need to do and show a strong performance in Michigan. There is no question about that. But there is a long way to go to the nomination right now. And so to say that it is completely dead if he does not win Michigan, I think is is wrong. It doesn't put a lot of attention on the fact of how much volatility there has been in the polls with the media coverage. And I think just this pretty big alignment, right, of Democratic Party leaders saying that we do not want a Bernie Sanders, we want a Joe Biden. And I think that, you know, it would feel it feels very reminiscent of 2016, where, you know, there's a lot of party leaders stepping in to indicate who they really want uh, to be the Democratic nominee as the safe choice. But when we look at elections back in 2000, when we look at 2004 and some of these other ones, it's not in 2016. Most uh, recently, I think that the safe choice isn't always the best one. Jen, just to put numbers on what Alexandra was talking about with younger voters, our national poll out today did show that for 45 years old and younger, Sanders, again, this is among Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents, Sanders winning them by 26 points, 57 percent to 31 percent. Biden wins 45 and up even more so. Um, That deficiency for Biden, we know younger people don't always show up, but like how big of a how big of a thing is that on his to-do list going forward here to to deal with the deficiency among younger voters? I think a big on the to-do list, high on the to-do list, as well as his need to improve his performance among Latinos. Uh, and, you know, as you can see, I mean, either Bernie Sanders or, or Joe Biden, they have big strengths and then they also have big weaknesses. And no matter who's the nominee, their coalition building across supporters what is going to have to be significant. So, you know, for Joe Biden... You know, I think if he looks at young people, yes, they haven't turned out to date. I think Bernie Sanders has not delivered on bringing more people, as we've seen in the in the numbers and the data. But Joe Biden is winning such a small percentage of them that his concern should be, are they going to turn out and vote for me in November? Uh, and that's an effective message, I think, from Bernie Sanders, because there's a lot of excitement uh, among young people. There's a lot of uh, energy and enthusiasm at these events and rallies. People are giving $5, $7, $10. Those are committed supporters. Now, they haven't shown to translate into votes at the polls to date, but they're still going to be needed in November if, yeah. for, if Joe Biden is the nominee. Hugely. Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, and I think we saw this in Michigan and last time where there was a lot more people that actually showed up to vote in the primary than they did in the general election. And folks, uh, I think particularly young people, you saw you saw a depressed African-American turnout, uh, particularly when, you know, folks got hammered on things like mass incarceration. They got hammered on trade deals. You know, a lot of people bringing this up are like, hey, you know, don't maybe don't bring that up in a primary. We need to unite. But Donald Trump and the Republicans are going to come strong at this record. And I think it's really, really important that voters think about what is the strongest possible contrast in the Democratic Party that we can make against Donald Trump. And right now, I think that obviously candidates have weaknesses, they have vulnerabilities, but Bernie Sanders still makes that strongest contrast in comparison to someone like Joe Biden. Well, look, I think if you're Joe, if you're from if you're on Joe Biden's team, you're going to say, well, wait a second. Um, He has put together the coalition that helped Democrats win back the House in 2018. That includes you know, when you say the establishment, that's African-Americans. That is uh, working white, uh, white working class voters. Um, that is um, college educated white voters. There are certainly there's room there's room that in, for improvement and room where Joe Biden needs to do better. But there's also room where Bernie Sanders needs to do better. And, and ultimately, it's going to require uh, a focus on figuring out where the weaknesses are uh, and doing better than we did in 2016. Certainly. And I think that, you know, I, I think now people are saying the establishment is is a buzzword because it, it's convenient, but I think that we're pretty clear that right now it is leaders within the Democratic Party that, kem- that came in and have indicated. I'm not talking about voters. I am talking about party leaders that are using their platforms to be able to get on the media, to be able to uh, talk about, obviously, build their support. And there has been uh, a big coalition around them. So I don't I think that, you know, we don't want to muddy the waters between where I'm talking about d- leaders within the Democratic Party versus voters that are turning out in these primaries. But I do think what the, the point about quote-unquote establishment, we we could debate the word. What I think we're seeing and what I think Alexandra's referring to here is uh, it's not so much just coalesce around Joe Biden, which that is happening. There's no doubt about that. It also seems, Jen, that there is a real hunger among uh, Democratic uh, elected officials, uh, establishment power brokers in the party to avoid a fully protracted contest all the way to the convention because there's such a hunger to defeat Donald Trump and many Democrats see a protracted nomination race as uh, a tougher hill to climb than in the general election for whoever the nominee is. And it would be. Uh, and, and I think that's right. Uh, and, you know, we'll see. Look, I think Bernie Sanders is going to have the money to stay in as long as he would like to stay in. So I'm not sure if all these people endorsing Joe Biden, I don't think any of them think that's going to end Bernie Sanders from wanting to be in the race. I think we should give them a little bit more credit. Uh, if you look at the, in, in the CNN poll today, some of the numbers that stuck out to me were who was more likely to bring the country together, right? Uh, and who is more likely or who is better suited to deal, uh, to help lead the country at a moment of crisis. You know, I think people are trying to decide what's most important to them. Um, And for a lot of these, um, you know, elected officials or former candidates, they're kind of trying to to figure out how to bring the country together. And I think that's a big driver for them, not ending a protected, not preventing a protected convention, because I don't think any of them have the power to do that. Right. And as you said, they probably realize that. That's true. But Alexandra, just to what Jen is saying, uh, the category she's talking about in the polls, overwhelmingly Biden, almost three to one. I mean, um, best to handle a major crisis. Again, this is I know it's just a poll. It's a snapshot right now. Biden, 65 percent. Sanders, 23 percent among those voters. Uh, best chance to unite the U.S. Biden, 65 percent. Sanders, 26 percent. And I think those add up to best chance to defeat Trump. And this is 
uh, 66% Biden to 26% Sanders. That means some people who are saying they're for Bernie Sanders in this poll, because he gets to 36% or so in the poll, some people who are saying they're for Bernie Sanders and that's their candidate of choice actually are also saying that Joe Biden is better equipped to unite the country, better equipped to handle a major crisis, and better equipped to beat Donald Trump. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, I think the the media, I think party leaders hold a really big responsibility in driving a narrative that has been totally around electability, and that's including myself, right? We want the person, right, that is best suited to be able to defeat Donald Trump. And we can't pretend like that does not have an impact, especially when, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders also in that same poll uh, talk is winning on empathy. He's winning uh, people when it comes to prioritizing the poor and working people of this country to know that he's fighting for them. And I think that Bernie Sanders should continue to beat that hammer right on integrity, on being able to say that you can trust me by taking no corporate PAC and corporate lobbyist money. You know, we were talking about the 2018 House races. Those Democrats are a lot more progressive than they were years and years ago. And they're in a large part of their concern conservative or progressive, we're running on taking no corporate money. And it's because of this idea that you are accountable to the people that are putting you into office. Uh, and I think that's going to be extremely powerful heading into you know the elections tomorrow. And we'll see how it carries out uh, until the general election. Jen, you wouldn't argue there's no doubt that Bernie Sanders, almost single-handedly, but uh, with the help of a lot of progressives too, has moved the overall equation inside the Democratic Party uh, in a more progressive uh, direction. Sure. But I also think Elizabeth Warren did. I also think in his time, Barack Obama did. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of people um, whose shoulders, um, you know, progressives of today are standing on. And Bernie Sanders is certainly one of them. And and I think that's a great point to bring up because we do stand on the shoulders of giants. Myself, you know, being a young Latina that is really, really motivated by Bernie Sanders, part of the reason why is because he represents a coalition of grassroots movements, right, that have quite literally changed the material conditions in people's lives, whether it's $15 minimum wage, whether it's the dreamers fight, right? Because even during the Obama administration, we had to fight for that too. It was not uh, handed to us. There are so many crises that uh, people under the age of 35 had to basically come to to power in. And Bernie Sanders, uh, though is not totally credited to all of that, represents a coalition of that. And I think that Joe Biden and whoever becomes the nominee really needs to take that seriously. uh, and, and and recognize that that is the future of the Democratic Party and the next generation of voters that look a lot like me, that look a lot like AOC, and less and less like a Nancy Pelosi or a Joe Biden. Sure. I think that's absolutely right. But look, at the end of the day, Joe Biden is winning a much larger percentage of African-Americans than Bernie Sanders is, right? Joe Biden is also winning a much larger percentage of um, voters who are college-educated white women in suburbs who many of whom voted for Donald Trump. I'm not saying that's the total coalition there, but I think what the lesson that I think and hope that Joe Biden and others um, who are working for him have learned from 2016 is they didn't listen to, nobody listened to um, the power and the movement of the people supporting Bernie Sanders, like yourself and many others in 2016, and didn't take it seriously. I think that lesson is has been learned to a degree. More needs to be done. More people need, you know, there needs to be more outreach. On the flip side, I think one of the things that's hurting Bernie Sanders is that a lot of people, not you, of course, supporting him 
are uh, they're projecting a my way or the highway. You can't if you're not with us on everything, you can't be with us at all. And that is turning off a lot of voters who might be with Bernie Sanders if he were the nominee. So I think the lesson is being learned on one sense, but hasn't been on the other. Yeah. And and we're seeing that play out. And I think that's contributed to Bernie Sanders major drop in favorability, lowest in five years, I think it is at this point. No, I I, well, So I, I just push back a little bit on that. I think that he is overwhelmingly winning young people of color and Joe Biden is overwhelmingly winning people over the age of 50. I do not dispute that. All I'm That's saying is actually factual in all of the states yeah, where there's I, been. I think, he's, where I been think Joe Biden has had one young African-Americans as well in, in some places. But yes. in, in some place. But I'm saying that it, to your point, factually, I'm not absolutely incorrect. Nationally, if we're talking about the contest, Bernie Sanders has a credible coalition of a diverse set of folks that not only make $40,000 or less a year, but are also young and generally are young people of color. And I don't think that that is a unfactual statement. No, no. I think that is a key yeah, coalition. I, and I know that, that you're acknowledging this, but I think it's important and tends to be when you describe it that way, kind of cast aside as something that I don't think is, is really credible. And so to your point about outreach, right, if we're talking about the Joe Biden campaign going in and going through the endorsement process with grassroots organizations that are like the Sunrise Movement or others, you know, he hasn't necessarily gone through those processes. And I know that that might not be the the most popular thing to say here, but that outreach still does need to happen. And, you know, I well, think it's the same has, can be said on both sides. So I yeah, I think be- to Jen's point, I, I actually I don't know, Jen, yet that lessons have been learned. I think that is the test is on both sides sure. to see what lessons were learned in 2016 and and are, are both sort of the establishment and the or for the purposes of this conversation, the Biden side of the equation, and the Sanders side of the equation. Um, how how does that get applied and demonstrated going forward in this contest? I, I think it's one of the big question marks. I don't think I don't know that we see an answer to that just yet. Yeah, that's fair. I, I'm not saying that they're they should get an A rating. No, um, <laughs> I'm saying that what I think what I see from them is that they're trying to apply some of the lessons from some of the lessons from 2016. Are they doing it perfectly? Absolutely not. Yeah. And, and should I, they go through the endorsement process? They should for all these organizations. And what I'm acknowledging is that in 2016, um, the DNC and Democrats have been working on these issues for a long time. Me sitting in the White House, everybody messed up because they didn't take the movement behind Bernie Sanders seriously. And I think what, what I'm seeing from the language from Joe Biden and from his campaign and from the people around him and the speeches of the people endorsing him is that they acknowledge they can't win without a portion of the Bernie Sanders coalition. And what I think you hear too much from from many people supporting Bernie Sanders is come join our movement. And people don't want to be a part of the Bernie Sanders movement. They want to defeat Donald Trump. So, yes, there's lessons learned that have not been a fully applied. Um, but I see more of an effort on one side than the other. Yeah. And I guess I'd, I would just say that what we're talking about here are, you know, we have 60% of Americans right now that are making less than, uh, that if they were to get an $800 emergency bill tomorrow, they're not going to be able to afford that. When we think about even the coronavirus right now, right, it's really exposing a lot of the the gaps within our healthcare and our economic system that show that universal coverage, fighting for fundamental changes, especially right now where we have shortages in the United States of America when it comes to testing kits, when uh, we have people that are skyrocketing, like 
that really, really does matter. And I think that Bernie Sanders is really capturing that frustration that a lot of people feel really, really left out. And I think what it can sound like, and this is reminiscent of 2016, when you hear that sort of frustration kind of swept aside, is that that's not real to people. And that's not real to young people like me. And so I hear what you're saying. But I also just push back on the fact that it's always been told, it's felt like repeatedly, that we're not doing enough here, even though it feels like we're shouting at the top of our lungs that it feels like our future is on fire. And candidates like Joe Biden should really would do a long way to take that seriously. In case any of our listeners thought that the Democratic primary was over, I think we have clear evidence it is not. (laughs) And um, I appreciate you both being here. Thank you so much, both Alexandra and Jen. Thank you. Also, a special thanks to our listeners. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. We'll see you tomorrow.